Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? Yeah. So we won Oklahoma, and it was state, and it was state. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. And Colby, I've got one thing to say. Just win, baby. <laughs> Just That's- win. That's what the Cowboys did. It was not pretty. We were getting some UCF flashbacks, but a winning weekend for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. How are you doing on this Sunday? Uh, I'm doing great. Great weekend. Good Friday night. Had a great round of golf yesterday. Enjoyed that. And was still able to watch the football game, watch the first half on your phone in the golf cart, and then watch the second half live uh, and came back and watched the first half last night. And can I just say, second half viewing, much greater than first half viewing. It was really ugly before Houston threw that pick up 23 to 9. I mean, really ugly. And then they just, I mean, seemingly like the September to October switch, they flipped it again and uh, came storming back 24 unanswered and they end up getting a, a fairly comfortable win in the fourth quarter with a nice drive late. So uh, it was ugly early, but they flipped it. They got it done, survive in advance. And that's what Oklahoma state did. Yeah. I mean, that's the story of the game, right? I mean, Mike Gundy and the players were talking about afterwards, Mike Gundy, especially about how this felt exactly like the UCF game in the first half. He said, if it had just started raining, it would have been like complete deja vu. And I, you just have to give so much credit to the players and the coaching staff really all season, at least during this, this really late stretch where they've gotten hot is their second half adjustments. I mean, the UCF game kind of got up too far away from them and then the weather and just, I think just the way they were able to bounce back in a situation that was so similar to UCF, you have to give Casey Dunn a ton of credit, which we'll talk about Mike Gundy, a ton of credit as a head coach. They flat out, out coached Houston in the second half. Their schemes were better. Their adjustments were better. It was a complete mismatch on the coaching perspective. I love Dana Holgerson, but he ain't it. And you're, you're seeing why Mike Gundy is going to be a hall of fame coach. I mean, that was a, that was a masterclass in the second half in terms of getting, getting the ball to your two best players and really adjusting on the fly when things weren't going your way. Oh, 100%. It was a, a coaching masterclass uh, in the second half of that game. The 10-play 78-yard drive that they went on to ice it was just it, – Oklahoma State was so in control. They knew in that moment. The players knew it. Casey Dunn knew it. Mike Gundy knew it. They knew that they could pick Houston apart just methodically on that drive, and that's what they did to go down and ice this game. And y- you talk about the players getting a ton of credit. You know – these guys all season have had to be really resilient. I mean, September went so poorly. They didn't hang their heads. They didn't go pout during the bye week and talk about how ugly this thing is and can't wait for the season to end so I can get in the portal and go somewhere else. And, you know, then you go on the long winning streak, you get smacked by UCF, and then it looks like the same is going to happen against Houston. There were two insanely key plays in the first half of this game. One of them was on a third, and I believe it was 16, whenever Oklahoma State was down 14-3. to Oklahoma State's at, like, their own nine-yard line, and Houston gets a stop. 
Oklahoma State's going to have to punt down 14-3 to from their own 15-yard line, and Houston's rolling at this point. They might come down and score again and make it 21-3. Game could have gotten away right there. Houston guy, just absolutely foolish, stands up, taunts Ollie, taunted him on the ground laying on top of him, and then he stood up and pointed at him a little bit more. You, you can maybe do one or the other. You can maybe lay on the ground and chirp a little bit or stand up and point a little bit. You can't do both. He gets flagged. That was stupid. Dan Holgerson said at the end of the first quarter how stupid that was. Uh, and then Donovan Smith just – I, I really don't know what he was looking at. I watched it back last night. He threw that ball straight to Trey Rucker as if Trey Rucker was on his team, and uh, that was a huge play in the game when Houston could have driven down and made it 26-9 to or 30-9 to going into halftime, and they were getting the ball after half. Those were two major plays. Oklahoma State just stayed resilient, and after the little surge at the end of the first half to cut it to 23-19, you felt pretty good going into the second half that Oklahoma State would be able to overpower Houston, and that's what they did. Yeah, and that's an example of Houston as a team that can't handle prosperity. I mean, that that flag was so huge. I mean, you're getting the ball back with complete and utter momentum. UCF-like momentum if Houston gets the ball back there. The flag where he stood over Ollie Gordon, just, again, reflection of the head coach, undisciplined, can't handle prosperity. And and really, Colby, I just want to say, like, coming into this game, like, you know, we were talking with guys in the golf course about the game and how poorly it was going and, Everyone just, everyone not associated with OSU just keeps bringing up the UCF game as if that's this is some, you know, unveiling of who who OSU really is. And I, I frankly was not even that disturbed by it. I wasn't that altered by it in terms of who I thought this team was. The bottom line is OSU is a much better team than UCF. But if you turn the ball over the way they did and the field position that they gave them, and then your defense plays poorly in the first half much like they did in the first half against Houston it's a it's a tidal wave it's just any team is going to lose in that manner the way they played but they were having success moving the football they just kept turning it over I I think I still believe they're a far superior team to UCF same thing in this game they they get the early storm blown through and they just completely wore them down because they're the better football team had had OSU just not had the the sports montage on steroids of bad play and bloopers, they they might have played their way back in that UCF game. You know, monsoon. That's that's a lot of ifs. But the point remains that they're a far superior team than Houston. They showed that in the second half, and that's why I wasn't that concerned coming into this game. I know the UCF scoreline was what it was, but there were reasons to explain what happened. Happened, and even though they were down at halftime, I fully expected OSU to go and win this game, and they did. Colby, it was. Um, just your thoughts on the knee-jerk overreactions, recency bias of a scoreline that got out of hand in Orlando. Because I don't know, but I think you and I are on the same page. We didn't, we didn't, we weren't out over our skis thinking, "Oh, well, she got exposed." Yeah, no, I threw that game out entirely, and I will say. I was worried in the first half, the first quarter and a half of this game against Houston that maybe Oklahoma State had just hit a wall and run out of energy and uh, teams had figured them out. But it it turned out that what happened early in that game against Houston yesterday was kind of similar to what we saw against UCF. Alan Bowman, who's been remarkable, just phenomenal at taking care of the ball throughout the season, throws a pick six, and and it was just a bad read. I think he probably read man-to-man with Ollie coming out of the backfield. A linebacker doesn't slide over there with him. It was not man-to-man. There was a cloud corner sitting over there just guarding his zone, waiting for it, and jumped underneath it and takes it to the house. Um, And then you have to 
punt the ball back to Houston, and they throw a 60-yard touchdown pass over your head on a dime by Donovan Smith. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, is Oklahoma State really going to fall victim to a stupid turnover, a, a pick six, and then a bomb, and this game gets away from them again? I, I did start having some of those thoughts. Um, well, I did too, but yeah. the way the first half ended is why I felt the way I did. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. The, the last two and a half minutes of that first half were huge, um, and I wouldn't even underrate the field goal to get – 23-19 there at the end instead of 23-16 because I think that was just more momentum for the team. Like, you didn't just feel like it was just the Houston mistake that got you back in it. You get the ball back just on your side of midfield. Unbelievable catch by Brennan Presley uh, to get him down into field goal range whenever he, he gets hit, the ball comes loose, and then somehow he finds it in the air as he's falling to the ground with a Houston Cougar on top of him and, and keeps it from touching the ground. It was really impressive there from Brennan. They get down, get an easy field goal, and head to the second half. Ultimately, Oklahoma State won by double digits. They covered. Um, that's what I thought was going to happen. It just happened in an entirely different way than I thought. But I think that that could even be better for Oklahoma State moving forward, that they can know in the back of their minds, like, okay, yes, we got down to UCF and we couldn't come back. There was a monsoon, all these other things. But we got down to Houston and we were still ready. We were still ready for that moment. We can't only play from ahead. I do think this team is much better playing from ahead, but they proved yesterday they can come back from two touchdowns. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really good performance all around. After some worry in the, in the first half of that game, they really turned it around and kind of, I think, solidified themselves um, as one of the best teams in the Big 12, and I think they're going to beat BYU on Saturday, and hopefully Texas gets their job done and the two meet in Arlington the following weekend. Yeah, no, it's um, it was an impressive come from behind. I mean, it scored 24 unanswered points uh, in the second half. I mean, it's remarkable just how they were able to shake off the demons from from Orlando. And I think the way they were able to do it, and I, I tweeted this, Colby, and I've, we've talked about it before, OSU's offense really struggles to play from behind. And, and that's probably was our, our biggest concern when they fell behind is that they have to run the football with Ollie Gordon. It's he's their best player. It's their identity. Um, they were able to kind of flip the script on this, thanks in large part to Brennan Presley, who had a career game. Uh, he he really opened things up and allowed Ollie to get going in the second half by just how effective he was. I mean, his 15 receptions was one shy of a record. Uh, back in like 1949 was the last time someone caught 16 balls. But Colby, the most impressive thing to me about Brennan Presley is when he gets the ball in his hands, his yards after catch, he's not, he's not Peter Warwick. He's not, you know, juking guys out of their cleats. He's not Tyree kill and that he's a speedster. He just is a football savvy receiver and that he understands space. He understands momentum of attack. We're coming toward him in a certain way. He's one of the best I've ever seen Colby at, not just breaking tackles, but the guys just don't touch him. I mean, they, they run right by him. I mean, every time he touched the ball, it looked like he was going to score in the second half. He had that one where he stepped out of bounds. He had the other one where they thought he was going to step out of bounds and didn't. Uh, he's he's one of the better receivers I've ever seen Colby have yards after the catch. He, he really, I thought, shifted the tide of this game and opened things up for Ollie. Yeah, he was so good yesterday. I can't say enough about Brennan. Um, when I just read you this box score, I'm telling you, pick sixes aside, 60-yard bombs aside, turnovers aside, if I ever 
read you a box score that says Brendan Presley, 15 for 189, Ollie Gordon, 25 for 164 and three. Oklahoma State wins that game 100% of the time. There's no other goofy scenarios that can make Oklahoma State lose a game in which Ollie has 25 for 164 and three touchdowns and Brendan has 15 for 189. And Oklahoma State really went in yesterday looking to set up the run with the pass. It did not work early, but over the course of the game, they were very successful. And a lot of those 15 catches... Um, Brennan was making contested grabs in the middle of the field. He made one in the first quarter where he jumps up. He gets absolutely drilled in the back. I think it was on a third down. Uh, hangs on to it to move the chains. The one I mentioned before halftime where he gets popped, ball comes in the air, and he gets it. He doesn't get in the end zone yesterday, but he did just about everything else. He had two rushing attempts in the game, too, so he touched the ball 17 times, returns not included. And that's just a recipe for success. Um, your next leading receiver in terms of receptions was Ollie Gordon with five coming out of the backfield. And then Owens and Johnson each had a couple. Um, Johnson, by the way, we'll talk about him mossing somebody in the end zone later. But yeah, Brennan was making contested catches. He was getting yards after the catch. He was everything this offense needed him to be when they needed to go on a run. And that's what your, your leaders do. That's what your playmakers do. So the fact that they were able to just lean so heavily on Ollie and Brennan, who just offensively, let's see, Ollie touched it 30 times and Brennan touched it 17 times, 47 touches for Ollie and Brennan. That's just everything that we were clamoring for in September. And it was just a perfect storm yesterday where they had the ball in their hands all day long. I love that. I think that, that is a, a major recipe for success for Oklahoma State's offense. Yeah, I believe they ran like 73 plays, something like that, 70. Uh, Bowman threw it 43 times and then 32 rushes, so 75 plays. 75, so 47 of your 75 plays go to your two best players. That That's good offensive coordinating. Uh, Casey Dunn, that's that's all we've ever wanted, and that's, that's the sign of a good play caller. I think Casey Dunn has really found his groove as a play caller this season. It was ugly at first, as we all know. We don't have to rehash everything. But man, he's really finding a groove. And I, I thought, you know, Brennan, his 189 yard, I had the number pulled up here, 189 yards. Is that what he had? Yeah, 15 for 189. Yeah, his 180 yards, 189 yards career high. And <laughs> they talked a lot in the post game about motion, which you and I have been saying for three or four years now. Uh, he likes doing it in games because there's a lot of actions he can do. They're using a lot of the Miami Dolphins style motion that they use with Tyreek Hill. He says he hates it in practice because it just feels like he's doing extra conditioning. But, man, that's just such an easy, simple way to get him in mismatches, get him in space. And I just – I got to give a ton of credit to Casey Dunn for the way he utilized Brennan Presley and, and Alan Bowman for getting the football. But the story of the second half, Colby, was the defense, the adjustments, which we'll talk about, but also Ollie Gordon. I mean, just explodes. Uh, majority of his yards in the second half, three touchdowns. You and I were watching the game together, and you know he's he's clearly beat up. Um, he was wearing a boot after the game, said he would play if they played tomorrow. He's clearly beat up, and you and I were discussing with someone that we were hanging out with that he doesn't quite have that same burst. Like we both believe that that long sixty-something yard run he had, where he was shoved out of bounds near the goal line. We we think he scores earlier in the year, but the way he's able to shake that off and still be effective. I thought the offensive line blocked great down near the goal line on his short touchdown runs. Uh, Ollie Gordon really bounced back in a big way in the second half. Yeah, the holes that he had to run through down inside the five-yard line, when Houston's got nine in the box, I mean, those plays were so well blocked, and then Ollie has the power to just keep fighting through a couple of tackles and get in the end zone. And like you said, I mean, he's clearly hurt. 
Like, he's still Ollie. He's still that guy, but he's clearly hurt out there. I mean, he's limping off after half the plays. Uh, he's wearing a boot after the game, and he still touches it 30 times because you needed him to touch it 30 times. You needed that for him to win the game. That's why I said uh, on the preview last week, I'm like, look, if you don't need him to touch it 30 times, get him 15 and get him out of there. But if you got to go win the game in the second half and you need a, a 10-play 78-yard drive to ice this thing, Ollie Gordon's the guy to go ice it, and that's what he did. And, again, it was the second-half numbers. It's this ability that he has. It's uh, and, and he's not as physical, as, as big as Derrick Henry, but Derrick Henry has this ability, or, or did in his prime, to get stronger throughout the game. And then in second halves and fourth quarters of games, he would still seemingly be, seemingly be going full speed. He would still have all of his power. And those guys on the other side are getting worn down. And the offensive line feeds off that. When they know that their back is running harder and faster and those guys on the other side don't want to tackle him, the offensive line feeds off that. They were blocking. Ollie was running with power. And I don't think that we really have any idea of what he's going through physically uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday of every week. I would imagine Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday are not a lot of fun right now for Ollie Gordon. I mean, he's, he's touched it 250 times in the last seven or eight weeks, something like that. And a lot of these are just power runs where he's getting beat up in the middle, guys diving at his legs, um, you know, trying to hit him as hard as they can because he's Ollie Gordon. He's, you know, got Heisman talk and probably going to win the Doak Walker. And Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday have to be pretty miserable right now for Ollie Gordon from a, a pain standpoint. But he gets out there every Saturday, and he does what you need him to do. Um, he's just really impressive, man. I'm glad he's an Oklahoma State Cowboy. Um, hopefully, I, I think that Oklahoma State will be able to bring him back and have him for another season. And, you know, he's just the guy. Everybody loves him. I'm sure everybody will be painted up on Saturday with Ollie and Ollie flags and all this stuff and chanting his name. And you absolutely should because he's that guy, and he's earned it. And he's a sophomore. Like there was a play you and I were watching where he stood up after a run and just like towered over the defensive back who had tackled him. And like Big, we're just like, this dude's a, an Adonis. Like and he's a sophomore. He's what, like 19 years old? Like he's just built different, man. And I think I think other running backs maybe wouldn't be able to play through some of the stuff he's playing through. Uh we've seen that in the past. He's just he's gutting it out for his team. And uh man, it, what would it take for him to get on the Heisman radar against BYU? Man. 300 yards? Something, something stupid? The UCF game last week hurt bad. I mean, really bad. It uh, did, but, man, the, the seas are pretty open for a guy to sneak in there. I know. I know. Caleb Williams is presumably out. Drake May is presumably out. But Phoenix is still undefeated. They got the, uh, the win against Oregon State last night. I watched the end of that game. Jabbar Muhammad was balling out in the fourth quarter. That was fun to watch. Um I don't know, man. Oklahoma State running back. You lose forty-five to three last week. I, I think it would need to be like a twenty-seven carry, three hundred forty yards and four touchdown kind of performance to get it back to New York. I just, I really think the UCF game was killer. Well, and if they make the Big Twelve title game, maybe if he does that twice. <laughs> bro, bro, I don't know if he's doing that against Texas. Did you see those boys on the D line last night? Yeah, Woo! they're pretty good up front. They got some. They got some dudes on the D line. I'm, so, I'm, I'm concerned about that matchup. Should it play out? But hey, just get there first. Just win, baby. I got to stick to my mantra here. Hey, just get uh, there. It's 19, 20, and 21 year olds. We've seen crazier things. Yeah. Uh, one last note. It was. Um, oh, I just lost the guy's name. Anyway, I was going to bring up the guy's name from 1949 that Brennan Presley tied, but I I can't find it on. I've got too many tabs open. Shout out uh, to him. Shout out to him. Uh, Alan Bowman had the pick. It was ugly. 
but man, I thought he really settled in. And I think he, of course, when you're, when you're looking back at this season, you're going to mention Ollie Gordon. You're going to mention this game from Vernon Presley, but what changed the season, like I, I don't think Ollie Gordon has the year he, he has without Alan Bowman. I, I think he's really provided a steady hand to the offense. And now Colby, he's, he's thrown for, you know, 348, two scores. Um, he's been a difference maker at the quarterback position. I, I thought earlier in the season, they just needed someone not to mess it up. But when teams have put eight, nine, ten guys in the box sometimes against Ollie, you have to have a quarterback who makes the right reads and a guy who gets the ball to his playmakers. And that's all Alan Bowman's done. I mean, of course, I, I didn't really blame him much for the UCF game. I mean, sure, the last pick he had, it was a little high, but it, it was hitting his receivers in the hands, those tip balls. I don't I don't really blame him for that. And I, I just continue to be impressed with his poise, uh, with not making just huge mistakes. I guess the pick six was his first massive one of the year. But I don't know. I just he's really transformed what this offense can be. And I think Casey Dunn has flourished really. I mean, we always talk about quarterbacks flourishing with play callers. I think Alan Bowman has flourished Casey Dunn and allowed him to call the offense the way he wants to call it. Yeah. I said this a few weeks ago. I, I think for whatever reason, this personnel grouping and the way they're running offense now just works better in Casey Dunn's brain. Like the pieces just fit together easier for him whenever he has a quarterback who is just a true pocket passer. You don't have to worry about any designed runs, none of that, no zone reads, no options. It's you're, you're either dropping your quarterback back to throw or you're giving it to your star running back and letting him go to work. I, I just think that that is what Casey Dunn clearly wants to do. It's what he's good at. And Alan Bowman has been great because you, you needed a guy who you can trust to throw the ball 43 times in a game that you have to come back from two touchdowns and win. And that's what Alan Bowman did yesterday. Again, bad mistake early. He just didn't read the coverage. I, I truly think he thought it was man. It was zone and he threw it right to the guy and he takes it to the house. That was bad. And, and that's a play that could get you beat, but it didn't. And he made some great throws the rest of that game. The dime to Jaden Bray in the front corner of the end zone. Great route by Jaden Bray. They called it out on the broadcast. He, he didn't run his route too close to the sideline. He ran his route, you know, six or seven yards in from the sideline so that he gave Alan Bowman room to lead him to the edge there. And he was able to run underneath it. That was a dime. The throw to Leon Johnson where he mossed the guy in the end zone. That was a dime. Put it right over the head of Houston's best corner. And Leon Johnson, my God, man, have yourself... Uh, a, a season coming up from D3, making that catch yesterday in a big, big spot. That was like second and 12, second and 14. If you Huge. don't get that, if you don't get that, you're you're a massive third down conversion away from just having to kick a field goal to cut it to 23-12. And that just does not feel the same as scoring there on a big play to cut it to 23-16. to The late throw to Rashad Owens up the right sideline where he throws it, just teardrop right over the top of the defender, drops it in. These are huge throws down the field in big time moments for Oklahoma State not to mention all the throws that he made on third and five third and six third and seven that that's what I keep going back to with Alan Bowman on third and seven when Brendan Presley runs it out Alan Bowman is putting that ball right on him when, when Rashad Owens runs a slant on third and seven that ball is right on him and those are the throws that Alan Bowman has to make to keep this Casey Dunn offense rolling to give Ollie Gordon the opportunity to touch the ball 30 times uh finding Brennan all day long just seemingly everywhere he was at on the field I, I thought the pick six early 
was really ugly from Alan Bowman. And then I thought it was mostly a masterclass the rest of the day. So uh, one ugly throw early, didn't let him, didn't let it get him down. Um, just came back and, and had a great day. So all the respect to Alan Bowman for leading the comeback yesterday through the air, because yes, Ollie Gordon and Brandon Presley combined to touch it 47 times, but Alan Bowman threw it 43 times and he was pretty efficient minus the one throw on those 43 tries. I mean, his ball placement's been exceptional really all year. I mean, I remember the game against Kansas State. He threw one, just dropped it in a bucket to Rashad Owens that he dropped. Uh, the Jaden Bray drop. He's had some drops on some of his better throws of the year. The 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 deep ball to Rashad Owens <laughs> that basically cinched the game. I mean, he, he's just been doing that. The You mentioned the plays, the, the Jaden Bray over the shoulder, putting it in a perfect spot for Leon Johnson to go make a play. His ball placement. I think it hasn't gotten enough credit. Those are not easy throws to make. Those are timing throws. They are down the field. Uh, there's, you know, you got to take into account where the defensive backs are, the coverages. I, I could not be more impressed with his accuracy, particularly down the field. Of course, he is good at the the short stuff. That's kind of his bread and butter with Brent Presley. But man, his ball placement on the deep balls have been have been on the money. I mean, how many times have we, how many times, Colby, have we said this year that, oh man, Bowman had a guy overthrew him. Oh man, Bowman had a guy underthrew him. He almost always gives his receiver a chance to make a play on the ball. They don't always make it, but his ball placement's been exceptional. Yeah, it has. And there was even uh, one spot yesterday. Maybe it was first half, second half. I'm getting confused now because I watched it in reverse order. Um, where he throws the ball deep and he just underthrows it a hair and you get the pass interference call. And that is so much more valuable than the overthrow. If the corner doesn't have his head turned back, if the corner is not playing the ball and that's a slight underthrow, you're going to get the PI in that situation. He's just a smart football player. And I mean, this is what year five, year six in college for Alan Bowman. And he just puts the ball where it needs to be. The teardrops up the sideline are impressive, but I, I just, I really cannot emphasize enough how important these little seven yards out, seven yard outs are just all day long, because when Ollie is doing what he's doing, and then they have to bring extra guys into the box, that means that you don't have help on the outside. So these corners are forced to play 12 yards off. They're backpedaling at the snap. And those are just free yards on the outside, but the ball has to be on time and on target. And it has been for the last seven, eight weeks, minus the UCF game, throw that out. That play has been automatic for this offense. Um, and those are just easy yards. If you have a quarterback who can consistently get the timing right, on those throws because he doesn't have a laser arm. And a lot of times, if you'll watch, he's letting these go right before the receiver comes out of his break. So as soon as Brennan comes out of his break or, or Leon or Rashad Owens, they come out of their break, they turn and look, ball's in midair halfway there. And it hits them right in the hands. They turn seven, eight, nine yards. Uh, those plays are so valuable. And Alan Bowman's been really good at all that stuff. It's It, it was turnovers last week. It was the pick six early yesterday. But the mistakes have been far, far and few between throughout the season for Alan Bowman. And I just think that his poise, his calm back there, his veteran presence, I think that that's been really good for this offense. Um, and yes, the, the decision again was made too late for him to be the starter. We all thought that was going to be the case in August, but they got there eventually. And now they're in a position to play for a Big 12 championship game. And I, I just, I cannot believe that all you have to do is beat BYU at home and you're going to the Big 12 title game. Well, if Texas wins too, you're going to the Big 12 title game. I just can't believe that. Yeah, they need the Longhorns to take care of Tech at home. Um, but the goalposts are back in Boone Pickens Stadium, and yes, they will host BYU with a chance to do their part to make it to Arlington. And, you know, the offense did does what they do. They kind of wore them down in the second half. And this is kind of what we've seen from the defense all year long, Colby. They'll, they'll give up some big plays. They'll have you scratching your head like, where was the coverage? What's going on with the secondary? 
And then they they have these games where they're just lights out in the second half. They they locked up Houston. They held them to seven points and 144 total yards of offense in the second half. Are you kidding me? That's that's as almost as good as you can play. They did score a touchdown, but in this day and age, to hold them to 144 yards is crazy good. And while Brian Nardo's defense has been susceptible to the big play, you can chalk that up to a lot of things. One thing that's become very, very apparent and for everyone to see is that Brian Nardo is big time when he gets to halftime. His second half adjustments, go back to the OU game. I mean, just game in, game out. Now, of course, you wouldn't like them to see, you don't like to see their defense get run off the field like they did in Orlando. But over a course of a football season, 12 games, you notice trends. You can see what sort of impacts coaches have. Jim Knowles was fantastic at this. The halftime adjustments, we all remember his. Uh, Brian Nardo is a young coach, but it's become readily available and obvious to everyone that he knows how to make adjustments on the fly when teams are throwing different stuff at him. I thought he really locked up Houston in the second half, and that that's really what won the game. I mean, OSU's offense did enough. Uh, they scored plenty of points, but they, they that could have very easily been a shootout without OSU's defensive adjustments. Oh, 100%. Brian Nardo, masterclass in the second half, and it was – complimentary defense where you finally started to get some pass rush in that second half. Colin Oliver was coming off the edge. Looked really good. Nathan Latu was in there on quite a few of those plays. Um, some other guys that I'm sure I, I didn't catch in the moment watching it live. They were getting pass rush on Donovan Smith. They were making him uncomfortable. And then on the back end of the defense, I mean, the Smith brothers are back there. They're all over the place. Corey Black looked good. He had some lockdown coverage in that second half. Trey Rucker, Kendall Daniels, those guys were playing well. But Carson, I, I think that we just need to start having and I know we're getting close to the end of the season now. We've showed this guy appreciation throughout the season, but maybe not enough because, I mean, Nicholas Martin is the Ollie Gordon of your defense. This guy is unbelievable. He, he's, his speed is underrated. He's so fast getting sideline to sideline, not letting anybody get the corner. He's been good in coverage. He's been good when you bring him on these delayed blitzes where he hesitates, hesitates, boom, goes. As soon as that hole's there, he goes. He's quick. He doesn't miss tackles. I, I mean, he is... Um, I was so worried about the loss of Mason Cobb in the middle of this defense. And Nicholas Martin, no, no offense to Mason Cobb. He was a great player at Oklahoma State. But Nicholas Martin's so much better than Mason Cobb was. It, it's been an upgrade at that position. Huge. There was at the beginning Huge of the season. At the beginning of the season, we didn't know if it was going to be Nick Martin or Justin Wright. It looked like it was going to be Justin Wright. Unfortunately for him, he has an injury. And Nick Martin just comes out and absolutely balls i think he should be first team all big 12 um i don't know if he will be i, I don't know if he's getting the credit that he deserves conference wide for what he's been doing but i think he's the ollie gordon of this defense carson and and i don't think that we talk enough about what nicholas martin does because he is everywhere in the middle of this defense i, I mean maybe not malcolm level but shades of malcolm um in the middle of this defense and that's that's just wild he's been so so good and oklahoma state fans really need to appreciate what he's doing in the middle of this defense 112 tackles on the year. Malcolm Rodriguez had 129 in 2021. He, he's right there. And you're so right. Like, look, I don't I don't want to just talk smack on Mason Cobb. I, got, I interviewed him a few times. Good dude. Uh, I think he did what was best for him financially. Uh, I didn't like some of his comments he made, but these guys are college kids. They're going to – they're not always going to say the right thing at the right time, especially when they're losing a bunch of football games and aren't playing very well. But I think it shows you, you know, we <laughs> – as much as we harp on Mike Gundy's recruiting, I think it just it, it shows you the depth of this program that 
we weren't even certain if Nick Nicholas Martin was going to be the starter that he becomes like we said the Ollie Gordon of the defense and he, he's such an interesting player because he he looks smaller than a linebacker but then when they show close-ups of him he's he's jacked he almost kind of looks like a running back playing linebacker with the speed that he has he's 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 got like a running back's body with the instincts of a of a big time middle linebacker and you're right he took over in the second half what was that play that you just raved about where he showed the patience he didn't over over commit on the quarterback and just remind me what your your take was on that because i thought it was a good one yeah, we went in after we played golf and we were having a drink watching the third quarter and there was a play where he came on one of these delayed blitzes and so often you see these guys come in on this delayed blitz and they come in wild, they come in out of control, dead sprint, quarterback makes one little shimmy shake, boom, linebacker, corner, whoever it is, safety on the delayed blitz, runs right past him. Nicholas Martin comes sprinting in and then about three yards before he gets to Donovan Smith, he slows down a little bit, breaks down and as Donovan Smith makes that move, Nicholas Martin makes that move with him, wrestles him to the ground and, and that's a play that goes underappreciated because it's like, yeah, he comes on the blitz, he gets the quarterback. But so often you see guys overrun that play, and that's just football IQ from Nicholas Martin. That's good coaching, that, that's good instinct, and that's good execution to, to hit that hole and then understand this is a mobile guy in the pocket. If I go in here wild and out of control, he's just going to move to his right, and I'm going to go right past him. He didn't let that happen. These are just little things that happen throughout the game, but they add up when instead of running past the quarterback there and letting him get out and scramble for six yards, you take him down for a six-yard loss and you get him in the pocket. Uh, you make him more uncomfortable because he knows you're there. He knows you're coming. Those are big plays throughout the course of a football game, and Nicholas Martin is just so good at doing all the little things throughout the course of a game. He, he just doesn't let guys get away from him. He doesn't miss tackles. He's just He's incredibly impressive. Yeah, he's he deserves to be first team All Big Twelve. I thought he got hosed on the on the uh, I almost said Blitnikoff on the uh, Buckus Award. He right, right. semifinalist, uh, which I think a lot of that's perception on who you are defensively. And let's face it, Colby, even though they had one of the best college football defenses of all time in twenty twenty one, I think people they they see Nicholas Martin, Oklahoma State. Oh, he's got a bunch of tackles because they're OSU and they're on the field a lot and they're not that good. Okay, I'll I'll just keep scrolling. Uh, I think that's probably what happened to him, right or wrong. But who cares? He's gonna be first team All Big Twelve. He deserves to be at least. And I gotta say, <laughs> Trey Rucker's had a rough year. Uh, legal trouble. I think he's been the culprit on many of the big plays down the field. Uh, he changed the game. This reminded me so much of the Jason Taylor pick six against Texas a few years ago. Houston's got all the momentum, and he kind of sneaks back in some cloud coverage. The quarterback doesn't see him at all, and he gets the pick. And really, the way they ended the first half, I thought, won the game for Oklahoma State. Because if they could just stem the tide, get this to a one-score game, they were going to go win it in the second half. And it took – so many times the defense needed to make a play against UCF – to, to stop all the, the tidal wave that was hitting them. And they couldn't do it. And you got to give UCF credit for that. But Trey Rucker making that play when he made it, in my opinion, is going to go down perhaps when we look back on this, similarly to the Jason Taylor play because of its time in the game, the situation in the game, and what came after it and the importance of that season. I, I think it's very similar. And I, he's had a rough year, Colby. He, he's a great tackler, not always great in coverage. He was great there. 
Yeah, obviously the plays themselves were different, right? Jason Taylor broke underneath a receiver that the quarterback was trying to get the ball to and, and scoops it up and goes the other way. Trey Rucker um, was basically just, just guarding his spot in the zone. And I think Donovan Smith, maybe, I don't know if he if the receiver ran the wrong route. I, I don't know if maybe he thought that he was going to come back. I, I don't know what really Donovan Smith thought his receiver was going to do there. But Trey Rucker was there, ball came his way, and he didn't miss. I, I mean, you see guys not make that play sometimes. Kansas, yesterday, they had every chance in the world to beat Kansas State. I don't know if you watched any of that one. Pick six, hits a guy right in the hands for Kansas when they've got a chance to kind of go and put that game away, and he just drops it. And that was a huge play in that moment for Trey Rucker. And I think it was big for his confidence, too, because he was the one who got burned on the 60-yard touchdown early in the game. Guy comes up. He's running a post. Trey Rucker turns the wrong way. He turns to the outside, and then he has to turn and run back in. It's too late at that point when the quarterback makes a good throw. So for him to make that play, get it down there, um, that was such a huge play in that game. I mean, Houston really could have gone and scored Carson and made it 30-9 to going into halftime, getting the ball back. You're, I think you're beat at that point. So um, there's there's little moments in a game where it can get away from you, and it didn't. The, the unsportsmanlike conduct call, the taunting penalty on Houston, that was just a dumb play on their side that you benefited from, kept the game from getting away from you. Trey Rucker with the interception, kept the game from getting away from you. And that's just, um, again, you get lucky on the Houston play there, but we've seen other teams just do undisciplined, dumb things against Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State does not do a ton of just undisciplined, dumb things. Sometimes they miss a play. Sometimes they get beat on a route. But how many times this year have we seen Oklahoma State just do something dumb and undisciplined? It doesn't happen a lot. And that comes from your coaching staff, and that trickles down. And Oklahoma State has been disciplined playing football. Um, and that was a good job from Trey Rucker in that scenario and from the entire team to be resilient. So, um, man, it looked bad early yesterday. And, and, I was already, I had these thoughts about what I was going to come in here and say, and like, how are we going to, how are we going to rationalize these broken hearts that now we don't even have a chance to get to the title game because we couldn't beat UCF or Houston. And then they just totally flipped the script. Uh, and now I'm sitting here all happy on a Sunday. It's been a great weekend instead. So I'm glad that they, I'm glad that it went the way it did yesterday. Well, and they're one win away from nine wins. Isn't that what you and I predicted? We didn't think it would come in this manner, <laughs> but it's been a weird journey that is ultimately seemingly leading to nine wins and we certainly didn't predict did you predict them to go to arlington i don't think i did no i did not predict them to go to arlington i think i had ou in texas going to arlington which were the favorites and it very nearly worked out that way and maybe there's still a scenario where it could yeah i i picked them to go nine and three but i'm almost certain that i had them coming out of september undefeated when they came out of september two and two i mean i i think at that point i i I tossed four and eight out. I was like, I think they'll get a couple late in the season against those bad teams. But other than that, I, I don't think they're going to win many games the rest of the season. And they've got a chance to, to nail the prediction and go nine and three. It's, it's wild. What a testament to the coaching staff and to the players. Cause they never quit either. Um, and yes, it's the coach's job to keep them engaged. But when you're 20 years old and the whole world's coming down on you because the, the program's in shambles at the end of September and you just turn it around and make your way toward Arlington, that's just, that's an insane turnaround. Yeah, and just think about last year and the way that season played out and the way 2021 played out. All of a sudden, Colby, <laughs> despite the craziness of last year, Mike Gundy has a chance to play for the Big 12 Championship two of the last three years. He's won Bedlam two out of the last three years. For a coach that we were literally breaking down the buyout negotiations for in September, has put OSU back on the map, essentially. It hadn't been pretty. Nine and three is not 
you know, college football playoff material, but you, you take a step back as we go to the last game of the year, there's still plenty to play for. And they obviously have to win the last game, but my gosh, just when you think Mike Gundy's down and out, he just, he flips the script on you. It's just, it's amazing to see where we're at now versus where we were in September. And I think the things you pointed out with Houston is why Mike Gundy is so good in close games. He's many things. He's not, he's not an ace recruiter. He's not gonna get a bunch of five and four stars, but one thing's certain, just like Nardo's adjustments, that's become obvious to everyone. What's obvious to me about Mike Gundy is he gets his guys to play clean football. It is so reminiscent of Bill Snyder. It's not even funny when people ask me to make a comparison for Mike Gundy or when I want to make his case for the college football hall of fame, I go, he, he's Bill Snyder with a mullet. He's Bill Snyder with a fantastic head of hair because their winning, their winning percentage is very similar. I think Gundy's is slightly better. Snyder obviously coached longer. They both have one big 12 championship. Um, they could not be more similar. And that was the hallmark of Bill Snyder's teams. Discipline. Going to beat you with special teams, which again has been a hallmark of Mike Gundy's tenure at Oklahoma State. They always have a good kicker. They always have a good punter. They always will beat you by pinning you deep in the end, close to the end zone. This is the whole, this is who Mike Gundy is. He has this reputation of the gunslinger, ex-quarterback. They run a high-flying offense. He is far more Bill Snyder than he is Mike Leach. And I think that's why he has such a good record in these close games. It's why, despite all the issues they've had this year, all the injuries, they're sitting there one game away from a Big 12 championship berth. It's it's remarkable. I can't say, like like you said, Colby, he drives you crazy, but you love him. He, he's That's just who Mike Gundy is. But he is a hell of a football coach, and he will be in the College Football Hall of Fame one day. Uh, I'm still having a good chuckle at Bill Snyder with a fantastic head of hair. That is a, a great way to describe <laughs> Mike Gundy. And I said it two weeks ago after Bedlam. Um, I turned on him. I did at the end of September. And now it's it's in Gundy we trust. And that's where I was at after the UCF game, right? After the UCF game, I came back on. I said, in Gundy we trust. That was a fluke. He's going to fix it. And then things went bad. And what happened? Mid-game. They fixed it. They, fi- they fixed it mid-game like they fixed their season mid-season. It, it was... It was a, a small example that if you stretch it out over the course of the year, yesterday's game was what the entire season was for Oklahoma State. And, yes, he will be in the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, yes, he'll be at Oklahoma State, I, I would imagine, for, for many more years, however long he wants to coach, because he, he proved this year that even when it gets bad, it's temporary. And you, you just have to wait for it to turn because he's going to get it to turn. He has a way to get through to these kids. And he said something on the coaches show last week that I didn't bring up because it, it wasn't relevant in the context of the conversation in the pregame. But he talked about programs um, seemingly overreacting to whatever the hot new thing is that happens in college football, uh, NIL, transfer portal. And we, on the outside looking in, myself included, we, we see these new things happening. We see the evolution of college football. We see NIL and the transfer portal and all these new things. And Mike Gundy seemingly was a little slower to get on board with those things. But we've also seen some programs overreact to those things and they, they lack any type of culture and any type of consistency because it's just a constant revolving door of trying to get the kid with the most stars in that door. And Mike Gundy kind of stayed true to his system and he has 
slowly started to implement more portal. He has slowly started to implement more NIL, but he's done it without losing the base of what Oklahoma State football is, the, the, the foundation of what he wants to do with, with young men who work hard, who buy into the system, who love football, who want to be there. And he, he just does it his way. And when he does it his way and it's going against the grain and it's not working for a while, end of last season, beginning of this season, it gets incredibly frustrating. But then over time, it works because he has a system. He does things a certain way and it's worked for 20 years. And I, I just, I, I kind of feel like um, for a while anyway, I, I'm, I'm done criticizing the the mistakes that happen along the way because whatever wrinkles there are in, in the shirt, they get ironed out and um, I'm just probably more behind Mike Gundy than I've ever been because, you know, we, we went through that darkness, he and I, and we've come out on the other side in the light. And it, it's like, I just have a whole new perspective on what he is as a head coach to be able to do what he's done this season. I think it's his final, his finest work. I, I think this might be his Mona Lisa to take the team that we saw at the end of September. Um, and if a couple of big favorites can win at home this weekend, you're going to the big 12 championship game. I, I think this is his Mona Lisa, Carson. Well, I think he was the reason they look so bad in September too. So I, I wouldn't go that far, but it's worth noting. It's one of his best coaching jobs of his career. No question about it. Uh, one last note before we get to uniform review, toast of the week and some Twitter questions. I don't know about you, Colby, like kind of like how we've talked for years and years about putting Presley in motion, getting him in space. Like, I think I would just tell Colin Oliver to line up outside the defensive end and go rush the quarterback every play. Now, I'm, I know football is more complicated than that. I know offenses can do things to counter that. I would move him around. But I, you saw how effective he was in the second half. You mentioned, you, you touched on it briefly, the amount of pressure they got in the second half. But I don't think people can block him consistently throughout the course of a game. I would send him after the quarterback, every passing down, every passing situation. I would, I would make that a focal point of my defense. Now, maybe I'm getting greedy after they shut him down in the second half. I'm sure football is more complicated than that, but this is kind of my, my take I had on the offensive side, just for the defense. Like football is also really simple too, Colby. We were very symptomatic about use motion, confuse the defense, uh, rush Colin Oliver, hit the quarterback. I, that's something I'd like to see moving forward in the next two games. Yeah. We've seen a lot more of it this season, certainly than we did a year ago. And he's been really effective there again. I mean, he had the play, uh, on Dylan Gabriel, but before the, the no call PI in the end zone where he was the initial pressure before, I think it was good law cleaned it up for the sack on first down on that drive. He had a big play yesterday where he comes around the right tackle and gets to Donovan Smith in the backfield. He's so, so good rushing the passer. And I too would like to see more of that. And again, you have to mix it up. You have to give the offense different looks so you can time up when you've got him out there so that he can hopefully get a good rush. Uh, but I would like to see more of that. Also just real quick, cause it popped into my head when you talked about the motion with Brennan, there was a play yesterday where Casey down line, Brennan Presley up wide left split wide left. He brings him in motion shotgun formation. He brings him in motion in front of Bowman and Ollie Gordon circles around behind Ollie and, and Alan Bowman running back toward the left sideline. And then at the snap of the ball, he immediately puts his foot in the ground and goes back right behind them. And the linebacker goes with him. And then they give it to Ollie and he takes it up the middle for six yards. It's just that level of motion where you start him left, you bring him right, you send him back left and you send him back right. That's like three motions in one play for one guy. That's just, 
That's everything I could have asked for. That's everything that I was screaming for and clamoring for for six weeks at the end of last year, for a month at the start of this season. I'm like, why is nobody in motion? And now there's guys in motion going all over the place. Just, I mean, bravo, well done, Casey Dunn. Way to adjust, way to adapt. Yep, I agree. Let's get to the Chris's University Spirit Uniform Review, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris University Spirit. Got to think Chris will be a little more busier now that uh, the football season is looking a little better with the win against Houston. Chance to go to Arlington. Chance to buy some Big 12 championship t-shirts, perhaps. We'll have to wait and see. But if you're in Stillwater or shopping online, be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. All right, Colby. We we went over this week, I think. We got the Black Pants right, I guess. But white, white, black. Safe, solid. Look good. Like, Curse of Cowboys is great. I mean, I... It's hard to remember that they didn't have Curse of Cowboys not that long ago. It's become such a part of Oklahoma State football now. Um, they used to just be memories of Desmond and Doug playing basketball. But um, what do you think of the uniforms? Thought it was good. Yeah, again, we had black, white, black. Both of us did, I believe. Uh, but, yeah, white, white, black looked good. It, it's one of those things you had to counteract Houston's bright reds. I think we kind of knew Oklahoma State wasn't going to wear orange because that would have just been a disgusting thing to look at um, if there was too much orange and red on that field. So, yeah, white, white, black, contrasting the red, red, white that Houston wore, I thought was a really good look, a really clean look, and you won in it. So we get to keep these in the rotation for a while, which is nice. Yeah, and the the black numerals paired so well with the pants. That's why they did that. I think that used to be frustrating for the equipment guys to not get the numbers to match the pants. So that looked solid. Uh, I, I was searching for anyone else to get the uni Heisman, but then Kendall Daniels made a tackle during the game. I was like, no, it's still, still Kendall Daniels. He's kind of, he's kind of ruined the segment. We might have to start naming it the Kendall Daniels award. Yeah. And the thing is I normally go somewhere else just so we don't always give it to Kendall Daniels, but the guy I want to give it to is Ollie Gordon. I mean, we saw him, you mentioned it standing there after he gets tackled on one play and he stands there and he's like, He's bigger than the defensive back. He's bigger than the safety. He's bigger than the linebacker. And he's just standing there just, I mean, busting out of this uniform. He just uh, he is an incre- incredible physical specimen. The, the way just his size, his length, like he, he's long and quick, but he's also broad and powerful. Um, yeah, he, he's a uni Heisman as well. Yeah, it's hard not to give it to Ollie too, but man, Kendall Daniels and him are Uni Heisman contenders for sure. So, are you ready for the Toast of the Week? The Yingling Toast of the Week. We had a couple Yinglings after the round of golf yesterday. That's right. We had to uh, stay true to our sponsor, Yingling, America's oldest brewery. Uh, I've been praising the flight. I've seen some people in the chamber discussing how good it is. It blows the socks off of the Mick Ultra. The flight is uh, raised the bar with the next generation of light beer. Flight by Yingling is easy drinking, clean, crisp, and refreshing. It's only 95, 95 calories, 2.6 carbs, 4.2% alcohol, and um, it's great. It's light. If you want a lighter beer than the traditional lager, check out the flight. It's it's big time. We had a couple traditional lagers there in the post-round affair. So where are you going with your Toast of the Week? Plenty of options this week. Yeah, there are plenty of options, but I, I just have to give it to Brennan Presley. 15 for 189. That's just not a stat line you see very often. And for a guy that early in the season – um, I was so, so critical of Casey Dunn for his inability to find ways to just 
generate plays that get the ball in Brandon Presley's hands. And that's no longer a problem. They're using him in so many different ways. They're using him in motion. They're giving it to him out of the backfield off that motion. One of those little kind of squirrel motions where he runs around circles and then they gave it to him and he runs off the right side for two yards. It's not a big play, but it's something else for the defense to think about. It's just one more thing. Um, 15 for 189, couple carries. He's back there returning punts. He's elusive in the open field, contested catches the catch late in the first half. If, he gets hit, that ball comes loose. If somehow he doesn't find it in the air, squeeze it, keep it from hitting the ground, I mean, that's what, a 25-yard play that gets you down into field goal range? I mean, you might not get another one of those. You might not go down and get a field goal there. You might not have that momentum and feel quite as good going into the halftime. He's just a big-time player making big-time plays in big-time moments. Uh, love Brennan Presley. He's been here a long time. It's, it's one of these guys um, in the portal era that you've gotten to know, you've gotten to watch, you've gotten to see him evolve over the course of, of several years. And that's just a ton of fun. And to see him ball out like he did yesterday, very well deserved. Um, you and I, we, we had a good conversation yesterday about whether he'd be able to make an NFL roster. And I really, I don't know. I think he's probably good enough, but I think you also have to have a lot of things go right. You have to be in the right spot with a coach who believes in you. you you've got to outshine a bunch of other guys in camp to make a roster. I, I don't know if he will or not. Um, but I'm sure glad he's at Oklahoma State, and that was a great performance yesterday. 15 for 189. Well done, Brendan Presley. Yeah, well, uh, Alex Lloyd from the 1949 Oklahoma State team, Alex Lloyd's popping champagne because his record's still safe. He still holds the record uh, with 16 grabs. Can you believe they even threw it that much in 1949? Was that every throw of the game? That was my thought. I'm like, that had the quarterback had to have been 16 for 16, and they all went to Alex Lloyd. It had to be. I mean, I would love to see a box score from, from 1949 against Kansas, and they were probably playing in a cow pasture, for all we know. Um, that's a good one. I would reiterate that one. Uh, I, I do think Brennan can play in the NFL, mainly because, again, his yards after catch, his ability to, to find space and zone defenses. I mean, I just – the slot position has become such a crucial part of NFL offenses. I just – I got to think he could carve out a role there. Um you see guys like Danny Amendola, who wasn't half the receiver Brennan was in college, plays for 10, 15 years in the NFL. I, I think he could certainly be a one of those type guys. Uh, not a game breaker, not a speedster, but he's a football player. It just, but I, I'm with you. It kind of depends on location that he gets drafted, which team, which which schemes. Uh, that that's that's all important as well. So, uh, my toast is going to go to Ollie Gordon. We all know what he did against Houston. He has now rushed for more than 120 yards in all of OSU's conference games, aside from the Central Florida game. He has 14 touchdowns in seven Big 12 games. The The discussion of where he ranks an all-time OSU running backs list, uh, you got to start at the 80s for me. Um, I don't think there's been anyone in the 2000s, 90s that – approach Ollie Gordon and what he's been able to do. You gotta you gotta start with Thurman and Barry. That that's that's the conversation he belongs in. Now I'm not here to rank or you know do the ladder or the pyramid of where he would rank all time. I'm just saying the impact he's having and his just flat out productiveness uh is off the charts. And what he's doing, he's now the nation's leading rusher again. Uh he's got to be a favorite to win the Doak Walker Award. That's that's hollowed ground. I mean, that that is a prestigious honor. It'd be the first individual uh, award, national award that OSU's gotten since James Washington in 2017. That's the level he's playing at, and that's without really playing through the month of September. So got to give a toast to Ollie. 
Yeah, and he's doing it again. He's doing it hurt. Guys, he's hurt. He's not injured, but he's hurt. And and maybe he is injured. I don't know if it's an ankle, a foot, a toe. I don't know. Um, but he's limping around a lot. And then he gets the ball, and the power's still there. Um, it, it, it might not be quite the same burst it was a month ago, but even that long run up the sideline, I mean, yeah, he gets caught at the one. But, boy, he was booking it there for a minute. So, uh, yeah, he's so, so impressive. I, I think in terms of an individual season or an individual stretch of play, it's probably the best that we've seen since the 80s. I think in terms of a career, I think coming back next season and putting together another just great year. Because, um, you know, Oklahoma State has had some good backs in the, in the 2000s. Tatum Bell, Vernon Marinci, Kendall Hunter, Joseph Randall, uh, Chuba Hubbard, Justice Hill. Um, I mean, there, there have been a lot of good backs come through Oklahoma State. That being said, I, I mean, Ollie has kind of – He's the offense, right? He's what he's what changed it. He's what I don't want to say fixed it, but I mean, he's the guy. He's the guy that you need to touch it 30 times a game to go win. He's the guy that you're able to to allow Alan Bowman to sling it all over the yard against Oklahoma because Oklahoma, of all teams, has to put eight guys in the box whose sole responsibility is Ollie Gordon. So, um, yeah, I, I think in terms of an individual season, an individual stretch, this is probably the best that we've seen since the 80s. And in terms of a career, if he comes back next season and does anything similar to what he's done this season, then I think he'll probably be right there, um, slotted in at number three behind Barry and Thurman. And, you know, I, I, nobody's ever going to top Barry. Um, could he top Thurman if he rushes for 2,200 yards and, and 21 touchdowns next year? Maybe. Um, I don't know. Hope, hopefully we get to have that conversation. Hopefully he does those things. Yeah, that would be fun. Uh, any more toast to give out? You want to pour one out? You want to give another toast? What's Where are you headed? Um, unless you're, unless you're ready for me to give you a toast to you for your golf you played yesterday, then I'm probably good on the football. I'm not ready yet. I, I do appreciate that, but I, I got many, I had people tagging me on Instagram for this. That's how, that's how much this has become my lane. And do you know what I'm referring to? Uh, I really hope it's 15 to 13. Oh, it, it actually, like I, I set you up there. It's not about Iowa. It's about Robert Griffin, the third RG three. Oh, okay. You know, I, I, I joked that he's a few games away from skydiving into the stadium as a look at me move. He, he ran down the hill at Clemson with, with Dabo, like just complete. And look, I, I do struggle with this though. Like, you know, I, for people who don't know, I was in TV for 14 years. And the, the one thing I learned early on is that you have to be yourself. Uh, that's like, that, that's just a, a requisite. You have to just be yourself. And if the viewer likes you, they like you. If they don't, they don't. That's You can't get up there and try to talk like someone else, be someone else. So part of me likes that Robert Griffin III is, is being himself. Um, he just takes it completely over the top to where, like, look, if you want to jump in you know, the water in Waco, you want to run down the hill with Dabo, like that's it's still a look at me move, but that that's kind of who RG three is. But once the game kicks off, just, just call the game. Like you don't have to have a phrase and a pun, like everything I went on my rant about last week remains true. I do understand what he's trying to do though. He's trying to be himself. And that's one thing you have to do. But the number one rule in broadcasting is don't make the broadcast about you because it's not people are tuning in to watch their favorite team. You played quarterback at the highest level. You have a lot of knowledge to share. Just share it. You don't have to be a cartoon character. You don't have to be a stand-up comic, an amateur one at that. So that, and I think if you search RG three on Twitter, it's I'm not alone. It's it's a tough watch, but I, I will say that he, at least he's trying to be true to himself because that's something you have to do in broadcasting.
Yeah, I want to be clear. When I criticize Robert Griffin III, it's just um, it's just the over-the-top stuff in the booth, the, the more moves than a military family that he keeps recycling, the just, again, just over-the-top in the booth. I, I think his personality, actually, I mean, I remember whenever he was down on the field doing a pregame or something, and he got the call, his wife was in labor, and he takes off sprinting down the tunnel and stuff. Like, that's so cool. I've heard him on podcasts talking about his wife, talking about his daughter, um, talking about his life. He seems like a nice guy. He, he, he has a good energy to him. Um, it, it's just I, I just don't care for his particular brand of calling a football game where everything is just a little too over the top. You know, if, if I got the opportunity to run down the hill with Dabo, I'd run down the hill with Dabo. That, that stuff doesn't bother me. It's specifically in the booth when I'm just I, w- I want the the color commentator to teach me something about the game that I watch the game. I, I, I don't ever mute the games. I always watch them with volume on even whenever I don't like the commentators because I want them to get the telestrator out. I want them to show me how the guard is pulling and, and throwing a kick block. I, I want these different things so that I can constantly be learning more about the game from guys who played it at a high level, guys who know a lot more about it than I do. And, and I feel like he's up there just as an entertainer. Um, and I don't feel like I'm learning much about the game from him. So that's where my criticism of RG three lies. Uh, the fun that he has outside the booth, that, that to me is just fun. I just wish he was more about the football when he was in the booth instead of the, like you said, kind of amateur stand-up comedian. Yeah, so pour one out for RG3, but uh, he, he he almost just skydived into the stadium. He, he got about as close as you can without getting in an airplane. So my uh, prediction was pretty pretty dead on there. Uh, Iowa, what was the score? Like, what was this? Did you see the stat? Like, they've had the lowest unders and have hit like all nine of them. It was some ridiculous stat about they, they won 15, 13. Is that the right, is that right score? Yeah. They keep putting their unders in the twenties and it keeps coming in under and it's just, it's phenomenal. Somebody sent to the group text yesterday. Uh, they sent a screenshot of the game whenever it was three, two, and they're like, Hey, we need to get a bunt down here, move the runner over, get them in scoring position. It's just, it's so great. Oh, it's just, it's the gift that keeps on going or giving. Um, all right, you ready for Twitter questions? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, uh, from Brian Metcalf, after Brennan's almost history-making performance, where are you putting him on your personal list of best slot receivers? The durability of Presley is hard to compare with the hits he takes and just keeps on coming. I think that's an underrated aspect of him too, Colby, is his durability. He does take a lot of shots, and um, he's 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 reliable, he's durable, and he, he keeps playing, playing at a high level. Where would you rank him among slot guys? Oh... That's tough because now I'm trying to think of slot guys off the top of my head. Josh Cooper, Josh Stewart uh, come to mind. Those are two really good ones. Yeah, those guys are certainly up there. Um, Brennan has been very streaky throughout his career where he'll have a month where we don't see him hardly at all touch the ball. And we're coming on here and we're like, where is Brennan? Why are they not getting Brennan the ball? Is he not getting open? What's happening? Where's Brennan? And then he'll have runs like he's been on the last eight weeks where it's just Brennan, 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 all over the field, everywhere you turn, Brennan, Brennan, Brennan. And his durability is something. Who, who sent that in, that, that question about Brennan? Uh, Brian Metcalf. Shout out to you, Brian, for, for noting his durability, um, because that's one thing you're right. It doesn't get talked about enough. He's not a big guy. He's out there having to be crafty um, and do different things to get open. And he's taking some big hits across the middle of the field. And, you know, there was one yesterday. Um, I didn't even mention the one where he's coming across the field left to right, makes the catch. I think it was on a third down. And a defensive back made 
just the best clean hit you can make in today's football. He got low, he turned sideways, and he put his shoulder right in between the underneath side of Brennan Presley's ribs. I mean, that is just the absolute perfect hit in modern football where you're not going to get flagged for targeting, you're not hurting a guy, but you're, you're laying the wood across the middle of the field. And Brennan Presley hangs onto that ball and gets the first down. His durability is very underrated. So um, let's, see, let's see what the team accomplishes the rest of the season and how many more big performances he can put up. But he's certainly climbing the ladder of Oklahoma State slot receivers uh, throughout the history of the program. He's been great. Yeah, his longevity, too. I think we'll we'll have him inching up that list, too. Um, let's see here. There was a really good one uh, from Michael Pace. How much NIL money does Ollie need to stay at OSU? I can't even guess how much other teams could throw at him. I, I think that's a concern, obviously, Colby. I think. If Mike Gundy expects to just not talk to Ollie at all and keep him, I I wouldn't suggest doing that, which he's done in the past. But Ollie's going to do what's best for him. I just I think his heart is in Stillwater. He's one of the most beloved OSU players we've seen. Now money talks, uh, but I I got to think OSU. I think OSU's NIL program is far more substantial than perhaps we know based on things I've heard. Um, I think they're going to do everything it takes to keep Ollie and. And if you're Ollie, why would you want to go anywhere else? You're you're the you're the king of the castle. Um, you go to somewhere else like in Alabama, you're you're not. Um, but again, I don't I don't know what types of things he's going to be offered, Colby. I just know he loves it in Stillwater, and I expect him to stay. Yeah, I think he loves it in Stillwater too. I I think that he will get uh, the most NIL money any Oklahoma State athlete has gotten, and I think that he deserves that, and he should get that. I I, I do think that Oklahoma State could probably keep him for less than someone else could offer because. We've seen athletes go places for money or or for rings or whatever the case may be where it, it looks like a guy is chasing happiness and doesn't find it. And what is the price that you put on being loved and being the guy and, and I mean, just being the being guy. happy being <laughs> happiness. What, what is the price that you put on? walking up that tunnel before Bedlam and he's screaming and they're, they're in the front row and they've got Ollie painted across their chest and everybody's chanting, Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. I mean, what is the price that you put on that? Is, is 10% more money to go to USC? Is that, is that worth it? Is it worth it to go out there and play in front of people who don't love you, who, who don't care about you, who haven't watched you grow from a young, talented recruit to a guy who, who's had to wait his turn to a guy who's now the best running back in the country. I, I just I think he's going to get a bag from Oklahoma State and from NIL and all that stuff, and he deserves it. But even if Oklahoma State can't offer what someone else offers, I still think he'll wind up back in Stillwater because I think he loves it here, and I think he knows the value of the love that gets returned to him in Stillwater is – priceless uh you, you just you can't put a number on that he'll be able to come back to Stillwater the rest of his life they'll put him on the jumbotron he'll be loved it's just some of those things you can't put a price tag on um so he'll get a bag from Oklahoma State and I, I think that he'll stay because I think that he loves us as much as we love him yeah and along those lines Garrett Wilson asks given the Mason Cobb comments and how this year has unfolded for the various teams do you think any of the transfers are having buyer's remorse uh, John Paul Richardson at TCU, Green at Wisconsin, et cetera. Is Muhammad at Washington the only one who landed in a, quote, better situation? I actually thought of this while we were watching USC get dump trucked. You think Mason Cobbs got wishes he was in Stillwater? Do, do, don't you think he has, like, I know his comments were what they were, but 
deep down in his soul, I think he looks at what OSU's doing versus what he's doing at USC, and he's like, man, I'm I'm missing out. They won Bedlam again. They got a chance to go play for a Big 12 championship. I'm out here in this mess of a, a defense at USC. I've got a coach who says things that not even he believes that anyone should believe, that they're agonizingly close and are getting drummed by a team that just fired their coach. Um, I certainly think Colby, uh, just this past week, Stephon Johnson at Houston, he hasn't done much. 200 yards. Uh, look at this. Look at the receiver depth at OSU. Uh, he could be playing a lot and getting the ball a lot at Oklahoma State. Um, I don't claim to know why the, the mass exodus happened. I just know that Mike Gundy's getting the last laugh. Yeah, do, do they regret it? That's tough to say because you're not inside their minds. You don't know what their exact situation was. Um, you don't know what NIL would have been here versus where they wound up. I, I think when they see the success that Oklahoma State has had in hindsight – I think that they can look from the outside in and say, man, that looks like a lot of fun to be a part of and still be happy where they're at. And I truly do hope that all of those guys are happy where they're at. I know USC season hasn't gone the way that we thought it would, but I, I hope Mason Cobb has found happiness out there and has enjoyed his time there. Same with John Paul Richardson. Um, you know, Spencer at Ole Miss, it's been really tough to watch him sit there as a backup behind Jackson Dart all season. Um yeah, I, I do think that some of those guys probably look and really wish that they were a part of this. Um, but I also hope that they got as much money as they could in NIL. And I, I hope that they have enjoyed their time and their experience in these other places. But yeah, Oklahoma State, um, it sure looks like a more fun place to play football this year. I mean, TCU's national runner-up a year ago. John Paul Richardson goes down there probably wanting to be a part of something special. And that team falls flat on its face. And now something special is happening at Oklahoma State. Yeah, that can't feel great when last year he was part of the team that fell flat on his face watching the team down in Fort Worth do something special. And then he goes down to Fort Worth and now they're flat on their face. And Oklahoma State's doing something special. It's just that can't feel great. Um, but I hope that these guys are finding some happiness. Uh, and yes, good shout on Jabbar Muhammad. I watched him in the fourth quarter last night, lockdown defense up the left sideline. Uh, quarterback goes out in twice in a row on deep throws, 30 yards down the field. Both, both times he's right in the hip pocket of the receiver. He's a great player. Um, yeah, some of those guys probably wish that they were a part of this, but I hope I genuinely hope they're happy where they're at. Yeah, for people who don't know what I'm referencing when I say the Mason Cobb quotes, he said, quote, I'm so proud of how the guys keep fighting. My last school wasn't the same fight. Maybe that was the reason why I left. Had that, a lot of guys really felt like they didn't really want to keep fighting. And guys here, man, they fight. So kind of a shot at his former team. That was the comments I was referencing. But I got to say, Colby, I was very critical of Mike Gundy and his handling of transfers. He's got to feel a large sense of vindication because his attitude was, if you leave, we'll be just fine. I got to say, Mike Gundy was right. OSU's definitely just fine one game away from playing for Big 12 Championship should all the other things happen that need to happen. So a little bit of vindication there for Mike Gundy. Yeah, let me hop back in here for a second on that topic. Last season, we made a lot of, and I made a lot of, and was very critical of Mike Gundy seemingly just letting some of these players walk, just kind of this, if you want to go, go mentality. And, and when I saw Mason Cobb's comments, I understand why people would get upset by those. Seems like he's taking a shot at Oklahoma State. I think that that was more um, a shot at kind of the locker room chemistry and the camaraderie. Guys, I'm here to tell you, last year's team, I mean, are, are you going to sit there and tell me they didn't quit? Are you going to sit there and tell me the last weeks of the season that every player on that team was fighting as hard as they could and that the locker room chemistry was great? No, that's this year's team. 
at Oklahoma State. This year's team never quit. This year's team fought through adversity. Last year's team, they, they folded it in late in the season, and I could see why certain guys wanted to leave and didn't want to be a part of that because that was their experience. And I think Mike Gundy in last year's situation was like, you know what? Everything got bad at the end of the season. Chemistry wasn't good. Leadership wasn't good. Guys didn't like each other. This team wasn't having fun. If you want to go, go. We'll rebuild with the guys who want to be here. I think it's going to be different for Mike Gundy this year with a team full of guys with great chemistry, great camaraderie. They're dancing around in the end zone. They're fighting hard. They never give up. These are guys. These are Oklahoma State guys. This is Oklahoma State culture. These are the guys that Mike Gundy wants to fight to keep around. This is the mindset of a team, the mentality, the culture of a team that Mike Gundy wants to fight to keep around. I'm not mad at Mason Cobb for those comments. I'm not mad at guys who didn't want to be a part of this program anymore after the way last season ended. But this year's team is a different vibe. It's completely different for Mike Gundy. I think he'll handle it differently. Um, So I just wanted to kind of draw a clear line between last year's team and some of the reasons those guys might have left and some feelings that they might have had about how things finished last season with a team that kind of folded it in and just the stark contrast to this year's team that has been fight, 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 and a bunch of guys who clearly love each other and love playing football together. I think they're two very different situations. So I just wanted to, to illustrate that a little bit further. Uh, I, I certainly understand that. A couple Alan Bowman questions uh, from Buffalo, Buffalo Buffalo Oak State, kind of Buffalo and OK State there. You may have, already, may have already talked about this, but Bowman apparently plans to apply for another year of eligibility due to injuries. Would you take another year of Bowman if he gets it? And from Pokia, uh, if Bowman wins Big 12 championship, is he a top three quarterback in OSU history? Uh, I'll go first. I would love to have another year of Alan Bowman. I think he's stemmed the tide. He's been an effective quarterback that can absolutely win you a Big 12 championship. Uh, if he were to get it, I doubt he does, but he's certainly going to apply for it. I'm not sure when we'll find that out. Uh, I wouldn't put him in the top three in history just because of how little he's played at OSU, but he'll go down as a fan favorite. I mean, anytime any quarterback that's won Bedlam is instantly in OSU lore. Uh, so he'll, he'll do that. And if he wins a big 12 championship, it's, it's him and Whedon. That's it. That's the list. So yeah, he, he has a real chance to, to etch his name in OSU history. Yeah, it's the top three conversation is very difficult. You had um, Mike Gundy, obviously. You had Josh Fields. You had Zach Robinson, Brandon Whedon, Mason Rudolph, Spencer Sanders, um, and now Alan Bowman. I I don't know in 15, 20 years how we're going to look back at it all and, and rank those guys. I think a lot of them are kind of personal preference. Um, how old were you and how, how significant were those games in your life when they happened? Like, what are the emotional attachments that you have to these different players and these different guys? Um, as to the question, if he could get another year of eligibility, would you want him back? My God, yes, absolutely. Do I, do I want to run back Bowman and Ollie next year? Yeah, sign me up. Um, there wouldn't be any QB controversy coming into the beginning of the season. We would know going into the season, you got Bowman standing there in the shotgun and you got Ollie standing right next to him. Yeah, I would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, me too. A lot of people wanted, uh, this is the last one, Colby, just the scenarios. Um, I think it's pretty simple. Obviously, it goes without saying, oh, she needs to win. If Texas were to lose to Tech, here here's the way that OSU will not play for a Big 12 championship. If Iowa State beats Kansas State and Texas Tech beats Texas, it will be OU and Texas in the Big 12 championship game. If Kansas State beats Iowa State and Texas loses, it's still Texas and OSU. Um, so they're 
there's more wiggle room than just Texas winning out. If they lose to Texas Tech, you need Iowa State to lose. Uh, if that happens, OSU's in. So you root hard. You become a Kansas State Wildcat at that point. And how brutal is that for Kansas State, knowing that if they win, they punch OSU's ticket to the Big 12 title game with that tiebreaker rule. So uh, obviously, if Texas wins uh, and Kansas State wins, it's OSU and Texas. I think virtually the only way that OSU doesn't get in Colby is if Iowa State wins and Texas loses. Um, yeah, the, the path is great now for Oklahoma State. You've got BYU at home, Boone Pickens Stadium. I think it's one of the toughest places in the country to play. Oklahoma State's going to beat BYU on Saturday. And Texas plays Friday night, so you will already know what your scenario is mm. whenever you go in on Saturday. It's a Friday night game, 6.30, I believe. It's in Austin. They're at home against Texas Tech. Texas Tech, not a bad football team. Three-game winning streak coming in. They beat Houston and Baylor earlier in the season in conference play, uh, sandwiched in. <clears throat> pardon me, sandwiched in losses to Kansas State and BYU. But they've now beaten TCU. They won in Lawrence two weeks ago, and then they beat UCF by a point at home yesterday. So three-game winning streak for Texas Tech coming in uh, with Baron Morton playing pretty good football. Brooks is running the ball well down there. So not a gimme for Texas, but a game I expect them to win. They've just – they've really got some dudes, Carson. I, I didn't know when we would actually look at Texas and say, man, that's a, a really good – football team with guys all over the field that is seemingly well coached and doing all the right things. Uh, but that's Texas right now. They played a really solid game in a tough environment last night in Ames. So I expect Texas to win. And if they do, it'll be on Friday night. And uh, we'll know before we go to bed, whether Oklahoma state is in a just simply win and end scenario Saturday afternoon at two 30 kick against BYU. The high is about 43. So everybody dress warm. Yeah, when you're in, that's that's the bottom line. Um, so we there's a lot of scenarios that can play. There is a scenario that oh, you can get in with a loss. They would need they lose TCU, Tech, West Virginia, Houston, Cincinnati, Iowa State, and BYU all win. <laughs> it's OU and Texas. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But you know, there's some crazy, crazy scenarios you can plug into that predictor app uh, website. So let's keep it simple, Colby. OSU wins, Texas wins. You're in. So it's pretty remarkable. All right, let's talk about our golf games, and then we'll get out of here. Man, how about it? Well done, sir. 76? That, we played a lot of golf. So for people who don't know, Carson and I hadn't played golf in probably two or three years before yesterday. But prior to that, we went two or three years where we played together once a week. And you played great yesterday. 76 is probably one of the lowest rounds I've seen you shoot out there. It was, it was really well done. I've shot even par there once, and it was on my birthday. Uh, but you're right, I... Breaking 80, breaking 80 a lot, usually high 70s when I was playing a lot of golf. I just haven't been playing a lot of golf. Um, so I surprised even myself, especially starting double bogey, bogey. Uh, you know, I think I, I think I three putted the first three holes. So well, that wasn't I, a great start. But I think we tied the last 15 holes or 14 holes, something like that. We both got off to slow starts. The pins were completely tricked out. Half the pins were within three or four paces of the edge. The pin on number one was on like an 8% slope. Carson was 10 feet above it tried to lag it and it ran 10 feet by it was just a goofy pin uh caused the double on one but yeah i think you were like five over through four i was two over through four i three putted i three putted one i three putted two and i three putted four after driving the green on a par four so i was two over through four and then i think we both played the last 14 at even so it ended up being a pretty good day on the course yeah i don't know if anyone predicted i'll have to go back and look at all the predictions but i don't think it i didn't have a lot of predictions in the 70s uh because i kind of told them where my handicap was but uh, we appreciate everyone that 
sent in a guess. Um, but no, it was, it was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. I couldn't have asked for a better day weather-wise, and obviously I played great. So um, we didn't do like a bet just between you and me with pops or anything, did we? No, we didn't. We were playing a, a big game. We had five, so we were playing kind of a, a wolf left-right game with teams. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and everybody came out mostly mostly neutral in that deal. So it was good group, fun group, great weather. Um, and now I'm, I'm not working weekends anymore, so Carson and I will probably be able to play a little more golf next summer than we did uh, these last couple of years. So the next time that we do this, we will throw this out again. I don't believe anybody won, but whenever we do it again, then we'll, we'll throw it out. We appreciate everybody, uh, sending us the tweets. Also shout out yesterday. We're making the turn and a young man that works at the greens came up and introduced himself. Shout out Mason. It was nice meeting you and talking to you yesterday. Said he yeah. listened to the pod. So, uh, always fun to meet a listener out in the wild. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it's always fun running into those folks. I feel like we, it happens more and more and more, which means a lot of people are listening and we, Certainly are appreciative of that. Um, it's a nit. This is a very niche thing being an Oklahoma State fan. Um, we are under no illusions of that. Uh, so we're in. We're all kind of in this little OSU orange bubble together. And I love running into people that that care, that listen, uh, that take the time to to compliment us. That's that's very nice, and it's it's it really motivates me personally to keep doing it because uh, Colby and I don't have to do this. It's just kind of something we enjoy doing. So we're, we are very appreciative of not only our fans, but also our sponsors that enable us to, to do it the way we want to do it. So that, that was great. Uh, no doubt. Any any last thoughts? Want um... Yeah. I mean, BYU's obviously winnable game. Uh, they gave OU some trouble. Um, their quarterbacks beat up. Uh, they had not very good quarterback play at BYU. I expect Oklahoma State to win. And you know, barring something crazy happening, it's it's pretty amazing to sit here and say that OSU will, will likely be playing for a Big 12 championship two out of the last three years when the program going into 2021 looked like it was in really bad shape. Uh, Mike Gundy was in really bad shape with administration. Uh, the the turnaround he's had, I think, is really – my dad mentioned this after he won Bedlam. He, he's really cemented his status as one of the best college football coaches of all time. Bottom line, there's – Regardless of how you feel about Mike, his resume speaks for itself, and he has a chance to put a really, really big check mark on his resume uh, in the next two weeks. Yeah, he does, and it'll be if you end up playing Texas for the Big Twelve Championship game, you'll be an underdog. But I don't totally hate that. Gundy coaches well as an underdog. You you kind of be playing with house money if you go into that game against Texas. It's BYU game on Saturday. Um, BYU is not very good. But they do have a lot to play for. They're five and six. They're trying to make a bowl game first year in the Big 12. They come in on a four-game losing streak, losing streak, got smacked by Texas, got smacked by West Virginia, both of those games on the road, get smacked by Iowa State at home. Yesterday, Carson, BYU was a 100-yard pick six in a bad time in a tie game away from beating Oklahoma yesterday. That was a 14-point swing in a game that Oklahoma State uh, – pardon me, a game that Oklahoma won by seven points. So, um, look, I'm not saying the BYU's peaking or anything, but they did play very well yesterday, and hopefully that'll be good. Uh, that's the most recent film that you will see on that team, and, and that will hopefully let Oklahoma State just kind of that, that last little reminder, hey, you don't overlook anybody in this conference. They, they Everybody, everybody has that UCF game from two weeks ago in them. Um, so yeah, I, I think that Oklahoma state will come out and play well Saturday and I, I don't see any way Oklahoma state loses this game at home. I, it's going to be Thanksgiving weekend. So hopefully there's enough students there. Hopefully the crowd is rowdy. It's going to be cold, but everybody show up. Uh, this team deserves all the noise. It, it, it's not going to be bedlam loud, but get it, get it loud in there on Saturday because this team, what they've accomplished, what this coaching staff has done, they deserve one last 
elite atmosphere to close this season out at home Saturday against BYU. I think they get it because look at what you're playing for. It's right there. I mean, you, this is what you you've worked for all year. This is if you had told us beginning of the year, last home game to go to the to go to Arlington, uh, it, it'll be rowdy. I, I I certainly believe that. So, Colby, great job, great playing, enjoyed it. Thanks for having me out at the golf course. I really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll get back with you later this week. Yeah. By the way, I don't think we actually set our scores for those of you who aren't on Twitter. Some people probably just listen. Oh yeah, to Twitter. Um, I shot seventy three. Carson shot seventy six. So. It was a par good 71, right? Yep. Yep. It's par 71. And we were playing legit. We were playing with three other guys and we were playing for money. So there was no tomfoolery going on. So a lot, of fun yesterday. Out. Yeah, a lot of fun yesterday at the golf course and watching Oklahoma State. We'll do it again later in the week. Preview Oklahoma State and BYU. As always, thanks for listening. Go Pokes.